The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So we're in the second week of a series called Accidental Pharisees. And, uh, and the idea behind this series is, is that it's, it's possible for us out of uh, what we perceive to be a very uh, good intention, God-pursuing intention, it's possible for us to actually end up doing the wrong things and end up living the sort of life that we're actually not called to live and we accidentally become Pharisees. And so today we're, we're looking at pride. We're looking at how pride can, can sneak in and make us accidental Pharisees. And uh, I, was, I was talking to Grant Carey about this this week, and I was like, hey man, you, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be hard for me to write this sermon because it's, I just have to like stop myself from it being just like me confessing all of my sins to you today. So I'm really trying to limit it. Uh, so hopefully, you know, I won't start crying while we're up here. But but that's the thing about pride, right? Like, it, it has this, this way of, of sneaking up on us. Uh, here's what I mean. When we first moved here a couple years ago, uh, I was trying to find ways to connect with the community and, and get to know people and, and just try to get the culture of Leander. And, uh, and so I started coaching for the Leander Youth Soccer Team, uh, Leander Youth Soccer League, Rec Soccer. And I coached an under-8 team, co-ed. Okay, so boys and girls, 7 years old, 4v4. And, uh, and I learned something there. Uh, those of you that have kids that are in sports, you know this. Kids' sports are crazy. Like, they are absolutely insane. Am I right? Like, it is, it is unreal. Like, I, I remember I'd watch these parents, and, and I'd watch, like, as their seven-year-olds would, you know, run around on the field, and I'd watch the dad, like, like hide his face in shame because his son's, like, chasing the butterfly while a, a goal goes in. And, and I'd watch... Um, you know, moms just yell and scream at their kids to, to go the right direction while they're running around in circles on the field. And then I'd watch parents just like beam with the biggest amount of pride as if their kid was going to be president of the United States whenever they just happened to kick the ball in the right direction, right? Just so excited over all this stuff. And the reality is, why? Right? Like there's, there's no scouts there. There's no scholarships in jeopardy, right? We, we all know at the end of the day, everybody's getting a trophy, you know, I, I got a trophy. I still have it. You know, everybody's getting a trophy. And on top of it, at this age, we're not supposed to keep score. Right? Because no one was keeping score. Right? Right. Sure. Right? Everyone was keeping score. I knew what it was. The parents knew what it was. That's how it works, right? That's the name of the game. Even when we're not supposed to keep score, we do. Even when it's seven-year-old rec league soccer in Leander, Texas... We want to know if we're better than the next guy, right? That's how powerful our innate urge to compare is. We want to compare constantly. That's how powerful our innate urge to compare is. And comparison like that, that may not be that big of a deal. But the reality is, that's, that's how pride sneaks in. As long as I'm better than this guy, we move ourselves up. And pride sneaks in and, and, and infiltrates our life and wreaks havoc. And so in our text for today, Jesus tells a parable about how pride sneaks in and distorts our view of God, of others, and of ourselves. How pride distorts our view of God, of others, and of ourselves. So look with me at the first verse in our text, verse 9. It says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So before Jesus even gets into the parable, the, the gospel writer Luke gives us an insight into Jesus' head here. He says, this is why Jesus is telling this story. He says that Jesus is telling this parable to people 
who trust in themselves, who trust in their righteousness, who trust in another way to say that, who trust in their right living. And because they think they've got it all figured out, they look down on everybody else. They're filled up with pride and they treat others as beneath them. And so right off the bat, we see that pride sneaks into our life when we trust in our righteousness, when we trust in our right living, when we think that our way is the way to do things, pride sneaks in and we view others with contempt. We view others as beneath us. And this happens all the time, right? And it happens in all sorts of ways. It can happen culturally, right? Well, those, those people over there, they just, they don't work as hard as we do here in America. And so they just need to get better at it and figure it out. And then they'll be able to rise up. We do it generationally, Right, like, can you believe, like, my mother-in-law, I love her to death, but like she doesn't know how to use Facebook, right? She's just like terrible at it. And then I was realized, I was like laughing about that this week, and I was like, that's pride, right? That's me saying, well, my generation was just like built up into this. We know how this works, and so what am I doing looking down on her? Right, that's pride. We do it culturally, we do it generationally. It happens professionally. A couple weeks ago, I was asked to, to pray at the Leander Chamber of Commerce Lunch and Learn, and I was really blessed with that opportunity, so of course, uh, went and did that and said my prayer, and then we had lunch, and then came the learn time, and uh, this guy came up to talk about uh, how to be successful in business, and, and that's fine. He came up to do that, but I'd, I'd never seen anything like this. Like, as he shared his principles for success, he was just adamant, like, if you don't do things my way, your business is going to fail. And if your business isn't doing well, it's because you haven't been doing things my way and you're a fool for not having noticed this before. And it was like the most condescending tone I'd ever seen. And so I just, as he kept talking and talking down to people, I just watched as people were checking their watches, so pulling out their phone. I actually left, part, or left before he was even finished. I was like 10 minutes in and I have a high sensitivity to bad speakers and so I was just like, this is terrible. And I was gone, right? I mean, that's, that's how it is. And this guy is perhaps an extreme example of this, but the reality is, for so many of us, as soon as we think we've got something figured out, pride sneaks in. And we begin to look down on anyone who isn't as together as we are. So Jesus tells this parable. Because he knows that pride distorts our view of God, distorts our view of others, and of ourselves. He tells this parable. Look with me at the next few verses. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so Jesus says, all right, here's the story. Two guys go into the temple to pray. And there's a Pharisee, and there's a tax collector. And there's the Pharisee, he's the guy who follows all the rules. He does a lot of good things. He's a good man. Tax collector, he's a guy who, who literally rips off his own people financially and gives money to the empire that's oppressing them at the time. He's a bad guy. And so at face value, Jesus says, the good guy goes in and the bad guy goes in. But then Jesus says they start to pray. And as they pray, Jesus gives us a glimpse into their hearts. And then we really get to see who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. And right off the bat, this Pharisee prays, and you can tell that maybe he's not so great. First of all, let's look at how he approaches God. Uh, Jesus says that he stands by himself. 
He stands by himself. Now, there's nothing wrong with standing to pray. There's nothing wrong with standing by yourself to pray. But the reality is what Jesus is trying to get us to see is this guy's in the temple. Like, there's crowds of people there. Everybody's there praying. But this guy saw himself as better than everyone else. No, no one's quite my equal in the prayer game. I'm just going to scoot up to the front row. No offense to you all up front. Okay, it's fine. Um, but I'm going to move up here. And, and I'm a pretty guy here. This, and leave everyone else behind me because I'm, I'm elevated above the rest of them. And so he starts praying. And he says this. He says, God, I'm thankful. And we're thinking, hey, all right, it's a good start, man. It's a good start. God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. Thankful that I'm not like other men. Now, I'm not sure how you usually pray to God, right? But usually if I thank God for something, I'm thanking him for something he's done in my life, not for who I am, right? I'm thanking God for what he's done in my life, not for who I am. But Jesus is showing us that when pride sneaks into our life, our view of God is distorted and our approach to him is way off. That instead of approaching him in grateful humility, we approach him with, as an equal who should be so lucky that he's got us on his side. We should be so lucky that he's got us on his side. And you may not see yourself as extreme as this Pharisee. You may be like, ah, you know, this guy's kind of nuts. But the reality is, we do this. We do this. There's a spiritual pride that can sneak in, and we can approach God in arrogance instead of grateful humility. Uh, I've told this story to, to several of you, I think, but when we were in the early stages of, of planting this church, uh, I was meeting with my, uh, my mentor and, and friend, uh, Pastor Pete Mueller, down at, down at Axe Church in Lakeway. And, uh, and he and I were meeting, and I was just, like, stressing out about all the stuff that I had to do. And I was like, Pete, I, like, I got to do so much to get this church off the ground. Like, I got to do so much. I got to raise all this money. I got to connect with these people. I got to find a location. I got to figure out our vision. I got to figure out what we're actually going to do. I got to figure out all this stuff. I, 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 me, me, me. I got to do all of this. God has called me to do it. And I'm the one that will lead the way, that will shine the light. I've got to do it, Pete. And Pete just stopped me. He's like, Gabe, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Do, do you think it's possible that God could plant this church without you? Do, do you think it's possible that God has called other people to plant this church too? And then he started to, to list off some of the families that were part of our launch team. And he said, do you think he's called the, the Hans and the Gumtoes to be a part of this? Do you think that, that God could possibly use the, the Hargroves and the Barneses to do this? Hargroves for sure, Barneses, jury's still out, all right. Um, but he said, you're, you're not as indispensable to God's plan as you think you are, right? He, he can plant a church without you. He can plant a church without you. So because of my pride, I was convinced that God needed me. Right? I, was, I was convinced that I was doing him a favor, you're welcome, by planting this church. But the reality is he doesn't need me. And see, and there's, there's some of you where you think God has appointed you to do X, Y, or Z. And if you don't do X, Y, or Z, oh man, he's in trouble. What's he going to do without you? I tell you, God doesn't need you to complete his mission. He doesn't. He'll take care of it. He doesn't need you to complete his mission. He'll accomplish what he's going to accomplish with or without you. So don't let your pride distort your view of God who is in control of all things and who is working all things 
according to his good. But not only does pride distort our view of God, it distorts our view of others. Look with me again, uh, second half of verse 11. The Pharisee's praying, and he says this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And so right off the bat, we see this this pride-filled Pharisee has a super distorted view of other people. And it happens in two ways. First of all, he looks down on them, right? He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then the second thing he does, you catch that? He categorizes them. He puts them in boxes, and he does it by their flaws. So he doesn't see them as people. He doesn't see them as God's creation. He sees them by their flaws. He says there's the unjust guy, there's the adulterer, there's the extortioner, there's that tax collector. He just judges them by their flaws. Did you ever do that? Did you ever do that? Identify people by their weaknesses. Identify people by their flaws. See, I think this happens with us. It does. I remember I was, I was working at a church, and I was, I was leading a Bible study for young adults. And, um, and it was cool. It was fine. We were studying Philippians, my favorite book. And, uh, and one week, we had a, a gal join us. She was new. And, uh, and I said, all right, guys, if you'd you know, open your Bibles to Philippians. And uh, she, she didn't know where it was, and so she just checked the front of her Bible table of contents where Philippians was and then flipped open to there. Not a big deal, right? Afterwards, this gal who's a, a pastor's kid, been in Bible study with me all year, goes, oh, Gabe, did you see that girl? She had to look up where Philippians was. Can you believe it? We're really going to have to help her out. We're really going to have to bring her along. Uh, true story, all right? True story. And I was like, well, I know what we're talking about next week, right? Like, we, <laughs> let's, let's, let's uh... but that's what pride does, Right? It sneaks in and it has us look down on others, categorize, oh, there's that biblically illiterate girl. Let's keep her down here, right? We categorize others by their faults, by their weaknesses. And friends, we, we all do this, though. We all do this. Everybody has those people. We all have those people. Like, just think about it for a second. Who's on your thank God I'm not like them list? Who's on your thank God I'm not like them list? Who's on that list? Do you see how that's rooted in pride, whoever's in your list? That's rooted in pride. Whatever category you're thankful you don't fall in, your disdain for those people is rooted in pride. Let's just go through a few of them. Like, uh, thank God I'm not like those rich people. Because the bottom line is, they're just lucky and they're spoiled. They're not like me. I've come from struggle. I've come from hard times. I've risen to the top. It's pride. Thank God I'm not like those people who vote that way. They're just so uninformed and foolish, but I read blogs, so I know the right thing, right? Thank God I'm not like those people who wrestle with that sin. That's disgusting. Thank God I'm not like them. I'm able to to cover up and and wash over all my sins so no one sees what a mess I am. See how all of those are rooted in pride? They're all rooted in pride. And see, this is something we need to be aware of, not only in our personal lives, but also as a church, as a community. Like, I love our church, and I know many of you love our church too. But if we start thinking, man, we got it together, like we are doing it right, and anyone else who isn't doing what we're doing, anyone who doesn't worship like we do, anyone who doesn't have as good-looking a pastor as we do, for example, um, man, if pride sneaks in and does that to us as a church, Man, we are in trouble. 
we are in trouble if we start looking down on how other people are doing ministry. So we see pride distorts our view of God, it distorts our view of others, and finally we see that it distorts our view of ourselves. Look with me at verse 12 in our text. Pharisee is praying, and he's moved from talking about others to talking about himself, and he says this, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. Now, to understand how this is an indication of this Pharisee's messed up view of himself, we need to understand uh, that Jesus is, is speaking to a, to a Jewish uh, people, and, and in the Jewish faith, according to the Torah, they were commanded to fast. They were commanded to fast one day a year, okay? Day of atonement, one day a year. This guy is fasting twice a week, okay? So I did the math on this. 52 weeks in a year times two, 104. So in this guy's mind, he's got to be 104 times better than everyone else in his community. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds exhausting. Right? That's exhausting. But see, that's what happens. That as pride sneaks in and inflates and distorts our view of ourselves, we've got to constantly be doing the next thing to be better than those people. We've got to constantly be climbing that ladder to be ahead of the curve. And you say, well, yeah, that's, that's true for people that, you know, pride-filled, but not so much me because I'm not, have I ever told you how humble I am, right? Um, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Well, in the book that this series is, is based off of, the, the author Larry Osborne, he talks about how he'll do presentations on pride to, to groups of people, and he always starts them off uh, with this question. And so I'm going to ask this question, and he has people um, evaluate, okay? So here's the question. He's, he asks them, are you above or below average in each of the following areas? Okay, so I'm asking you guys, are you above or below average in each of the following areas? If you can hit the slide there, Kat. Is it there? Oh, it is. Okay, my ability to get along with other people, my honesty, my work ethic, my basic intelligence, my morality. Am I above or below average in each of the following categories? And he says that every time he's done this, 100% of the people have said they're above average in every single category. Now, he hasn't done it at our church, and I'm sure you're all much more pious than the people that, that he's interviewed. Um, but the reality is, my guess is, if we're honest, we'd probably say, yeah, I'm probably a little smarter than most people, probably a little more well-behaved. People seem to like me better than most other people, right? If not every category, we'd probably say most of them were above average. But numbers don't lie, right? Numbers don't lie. So, so if, if there's an average, it means that some of us are going to be below it. And see, Pride Sneaks says, well, yeah, but not me. Maybe this guy over here, but not me. So we've seen pride distorts our view of God, it distorts our view of others, it distorts our view of ourselves. And so what's the solution? What do we do? How do we stop pride from, from wreaking havoc in our lives? Well, Jesus gets to that uh, with the second guy, the tax collector, and he says this. Look with me at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, in what would have been a shocking twist for Jesus' original hearers, Jesus uses this tax collector to show how to avoid the traps of pride. He uses this guy who's an absolute mess, 
morally and spiritually and socially. And he says, follow this guy for the path out of pride. And he shows us that it all starts with how we approach God. It all starts with how we approach God. Just look at this tax collector. He goes in, his head is bowed. He beats his breast and he begs God for mercy. And understand, that is a revolutionary way of approaching God. Revolutionary way of approaching God. Think about it. Every other religion, every other worldview that exists or ever will exist says that if you want to approach God, you got to do a bunch of stuff. You got to follow the rules, say the right rituals, do the right things, and then God will respond. Because you do the right things, then you'll put God in your debt, and then he'll have to respond to you. See, but this tax collector is revolutionary because he knows he's bringing nothing to the table. That before a holy and just God, there's, there's no ritual he can perform, there's no promise he can make, there's no good deed he can do to make himself okay before God. And so he just says, God, I beg for your mercy. I'm a sinner. That's all I can do. It's just repent before you. And Jesus says that he's justified which means he's declared innocent. He's declared innocent. Now, is this tax collector actually innocent? No, he's been ripping his people off. But God, the judge, declares him innocent because in humility, he asked God for mercy. In humility, he asked God for mercy. And so, friends, how do you approach God? What's your approach to God? Do you approach him as a God who's in your debt, who owes you something because you're good and smart and successful and pretty? Or do you approach God in humility, asking him for his mercy, knowing that you're in desperate need of a savior? You see, if you approach God that way, there's really no place for pride in your life, right? It would make no sense. If you actually approach God with that much humility, there's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride. And that's like the basis of the Christian faith. Bottom line for us is that we can't do it, that we're a mess, that we can't fix us. But that God, in his mercy, sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to cover over what we've messed up through his death on the cross. And say we receive that in humility. And so the idea of an arrogant Christian is bizarre. It's illogical. It makes no sense. Because we know that like the tax collector, we bring nothing to the table. That apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ, we are hopefully lost. It makes no sense for a Christian to be prideful. And so you say, okay, Gabe, like I get it. That makes sense. But, but I still wrestle with pride, so, so do you have any practical tips? Yes. Uh, great philosopher C.S. Lewis says this about humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I think there's great wisdom in that. Right? You wrestle with pride. Okay, well, don't sit around beating yourself up about it. Get outside yourself. Think about God. Think about his love for you. Think about his mercy for you. And then after you've done that, then get outside yourself even more and actually serve other people. It's nearly impossible to be prideful when you know that you're accepted by God despite yourself. 
It's nearly impossible to be prideful when you're truly serving someone else. It just doesn't happen. I uh, interned at a, a very large church my, my third year of seminary. And uh, can I just tell you all, like, I killed it. Right? I was, like, really good up there. Like, the old ladies loved me. The kids thought I was cool. Uh, the, the folks that were intelligent and successful were, were impressed. Uh, the, the folks that were down on their luck, had hard times, felt I was relatable. Like, you know, if that church was the country, I could have been elected president. Like, it was just, like, that good. It was just a great year. Everything I touched turned to gold. And so I, I came back to seminary for my fourth year to finish up my studies, and my head would not fit in our apartment door, uh, not only because our apartment was 450 square feet, but because my head was that big, right? And so I'm all pumped up with pride as I come back from my final year of school. And I, uh, I went to work. I got a job uh, working in inner city St. Louis mentoring at-risk youth uh, that were in middle school, fifth and sixth grade. And, uh, and I know, you know, I come off as, as really hood and, and really hard. It was a joke. <laughs> and, uh, but I got to tell you, man, working with these kids was so humbling and so eye-opening for me. That for each of these kids, dad, for the most part, was either dead or in prison. And they were lucky if mom was around. Making it to high school was like the goal. Like if they could just get to freshman year, that was a big deal. Let alone graduate. Right? So do you think any of them cared about how great I was at my last church? Not at all. Not at all. But as I began to, to work with these kids and, and hear their stories, see, God began to work on me. And, and he helped me get outside of myself. And he helped me gain some humility where I desperately needed it. And so, friends, if you wrestle with pride, if that's something you're saying, gosh, Gabe, this is like, punch me in the face today. Can I tell you, serve someone else. Get outside yourself. Scrub a toilet. I don't know what you need to do, but do that. Let God work that humility inside of you. Because that's who we have in our king. That's who we have in Jesus. He's the one who came and served us. He's the one who came and served you. So let's follow him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your grace, Lord. God, we get so arrogant, so puffed up with ourselves. I pray that you would humble us. Teach us to look to you. Teach us to look to Jesus, the one who in humility gave himself for us that we might know you. God, remind us of that daily. Pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.